Lee in Washington. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Alex Jones. I've been waiting a long time to talk to you. Anyways, I just wanted to say, um, I remember back in the day, uh, Y2K, the Bill Cooper incident, and you smoking me, Joe Rogan. Now you lost your kids, and I'm so happy about that, dude. If I ever seen you in real life, I would smack it out of this shit of you. I uh, would we'll delay that because we can't have cussing. I've never taken DMT. We'll do it live! Trigger. I can't really identify the, the systems exactly. Um, I can tell you that they were at least 40 to 50 years uh, in the future compared to everybody else. My God. This technology uh, just mind-blowing thing. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that strange? We were talking about the president, and all of a sudden we got cut off. I don't want to brag, but by myself, I killed the guy. Well, today I'm going to see you with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. 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 You, you, know, the you would not even know about the secret societies. You would not even know about the Illuminati. You would not know anything about the world conspiracy. <laughs> 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 And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael. I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show. A place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what. You at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find a 24-7 network. Go to michaeldeacon.com for your preferred choice of platform to hear the podcast rendition of this program. From ancient man to the modern man, all have looked into the heavens and asked simply, why a strange blue object has been seen in photographs lately. Can this be the fabled Blue Star Kachina? Blue Star Kachina is said to be the ninth and final sign before the day of purification, according to Opie Prophecy. My guest tonight is Marshall Masters. Marshall is a former CNN Science Features news producer, freelance writer, television analyst, and the publisher of YaoUSA.com. That means Your Own World USA. Since 1999, he has been researching earth changes and Nibiru flyby-related topics. He's been here before, and now he's back. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those here in America and those who listen outside of America for listening to this program for those who are new in attendance, let me take a moment to reintroduce myself to all of you out there. My name is Michael, and I am the host and producer of this very unique program. This is a call-in show. Please feel free to call in whenever your heart's desire. I'm always willing to talk to you out there. I'm someone who cares, someone who's there. I'll only be answering one line tonight. That number is 760-332-8947. Let's hear those sweet little voices. 760-332-8947. Go ahead and add me over Skype. End of days, Mike, with the letter Y and not the letter I. 
Tonight will be a bit of a rattlesnake. That eerie feeling is in the air tonight here again. I feel it crawling down my spine. I believe my guest is ready to rock. Marshall, is that you? That's me. My goodness, I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> well, so am I. <laughs> oh, yes. We all have to pat ourselves on the back nowadays, uh, surviving a week here on Earth. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Oh, yes, Marshall, as you clearly know, there's nothing but chaos all around the world once again, sadly. Oh, uh, business as usual. They just keep stirring the pot. It just keeps happened. everybody looking the other My way. Goodness, it, it's every other day now, right? Yeah, yeah, if not every day. I mean, it's just like, and some of it's just so oddball, like that Kathy Gifford thing with the, oh my, the ISIS. I mean, I was looking at that and I'm going, girl, you took a stupid pill. <laughs> you know, they, you know, I had listeners wanting me to talk about that for a while. And I mean, they wanted me to dedicate at least 30 to 45 minutes talking about that. And I thought, that's a little, that's a little absurd. I don't want to talk about that for that long. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we've given her, her stupid pill allotment. Right. So, you know, yeah. But so, I, last comment is I'll miss her at New Year's trying to take <laughs> off her bra, you know? Oh, Lord. <laughs> My goodness. Yes, Marshall. I, I, I acquiesce. So <laughs> I, I must say it's always an honor and pleasure to speak to you, Marshall. Well, likewise, Michael. Always enjoy being on your show. Oh, love that. So, Marshall, once again, please introduce yourself to all of those out there who are just stumbling in. Well, I've been writing on the topic of Planet X and space threat, Earth changes since 1999. My site is yowza.com. But it's just easier to just go to marshallmasters.com and it's with two L's. And I'm, my focus right now is really on how people are going to survive what's coming. And I pretty much transitioned from what I call validation work, which is putting up videos and trying to give people proof and evidence of what's happening. And my focus now is on the ones that see it and say, you know, okay, I'm in. So what do I do? And these are the folks that I'm trying to do. You help the ones you can. And for the rest, uh, I don't need to do the validation work because there are so many new social media sites on the topic that why just be another small voice in a large chorus? And so it yes. gives me the flexibility to really move into where my heart's taking me, which is to help people in awareness. And so I have just released, it was, as a matter of fact, it went up live today, my Two Sons in the Sky, Who Lives, Who Dies, three-part series. And folks can follow it. Uh, it's on YouTube on my Yao Books channel. All they have to do is just go to twosonsinthesky.com, and that page is on my Knowledge Mountain website, and that will link them into the videos, and they can watch it from there. And if they want to purchase CD, audios, DVD, transcripts, so forth, those options are there as well. But they're welcome to watch it on YouTube. And these are uh, long videos, about 45 to 58 minutes in length, three of them. And what I did is uh, I wanted something that was very calm and restive because 
Yeah, we are talking about the end of life as we know it. So instead of a bunch of jarring graphics, because this is an audio book, I'm just speaking to people and I'm the one narrating. Uh, what I did was I used stock video of beautiful, restive nature scenes. So that's all you see. You hear my voice. You hear me narrating the book, the audio book. But then you just see these calming, restive scenes. And I put it up in 1080 HD so that for those folks that are doing it on their big screen TV at home, they have the resolution. And also I'm not running advertising, which there's no, I don't want to have those ads popping up in the middle of the video and all of that. Uh, so I put it up there ad free 1080 HD. So it's a really good listening experience, visual experience, because the concepts, Michael, yes. are really essential as to what's going on. What motivated me to to do this series, really, was uh, I, I've always been dealing with a lot of folks in awareness over the years. And the ones that uh, they're the ones that really get to your heart. That really hurts. And most of the 70% of the folks who are in awareness about Planet X are baby boomers. They're my generation. Right. And so consequently, many of them are also what I call uh, junior grandparents, young grandparents, and that their uh, their grandchildren are not yet of the age of majority. They're still minors. And that makes it especially rough for them. Their grandchildren and their, you know, they're of the age of a majority or older in their 20s, then they can talk to them directly and deal with them directly. So those folks don't have so much of this problem. It's the ones that their grandchildren are too young, so they have to deal with their children, and their children are saying, Mom, Dad, you know, love you to pieces. You're absolutely wonderful, but you're cracked. <laughs> I mean, you just gone around the bend. Oh, Your elevator's no. not going all the way to the top. You're one short of a six-pack when it comes to this. You're the dimmest bulb on the tree. You know, all of these really, really negative things deniers say. You know, they just don't simply say, it's not my cup of tea, thank you. Now, they they got to get personal and insult you because they really want to offend you so much that you, they know you're never going to do it again and say it again because you're touching on a primal fear. And this is part of our racial memory within all of us of things in the sky that portend horror, death, and dying. All right. So for these folks, it's really a twist. And you know, I remember I've written a couple of articles for them. One was uh, very popular. I've had a lot of people tell me it was their favorite, Until Death Wish Do We Part. And there I'm really going through the dilemma that they're in, how to focus on it. But essentially, they just have two choices. And on one hand, they can just go on with whatever they're doing and planning and preparation and in being in service to others, which is what I'm advising. And in the process, they're going to be able to create a fallback, a plan B for their loved ones, even though it's best the loved ones do not know about it until they're ready for that information. And that's really what I'm saying in Two Suns in the Sky. I'm really trying to give them this strategy so that they can set up an escape route, if you will, for their families uh, so that they can get them to a place. Because these folks are 
they're wonderful salts of the earth people. They got big hearts and that means they got small wallets. Yeah. You, talk, and, you mm-hmm. gotta come up with a couple of million dollars for bunkers for you right. and your loved ones. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I was just about to mention that to you here, Marshall. And yet lots of, well, I shouldn't say lots of, I should just say various listeners out there have shown their concerns because they are of that demographic and they're always wondering, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. And that's, and I've heard this again and again and again. So I really decided with two sons in the sky to just take this head on, you know, get right up on it, go down on the mat with this topic. And because for these grandparents, as I was saying before, and I, let me get back to that. They yes. really have two options. The first one I discussed, which is you go on and you do something and you just don't involve them. The second thing is you have to find a comfort level with a death wish. That's your option B is a death wish, which means you're going to move in near close proximity to your progeny because, and the folks that really agonize the most are ones that have families on a major coastline. And that's going to be typical because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And I find that people in the flyover states are far more practical about this topic as a whole than the ones that are in the ground zero locations along the major shorelines. That's where the denial is the hardest. So for the grandparents, what they can do is if they're going to feel comfortable with their death wish, that means they move to a ground zero location to be near their family so that they can comfort them while they watch everyone they love die. That's the death wish. You're just there to say, it's okay, go to the light, we'll be in heaven Grandma loves you. Grandpa loves you. And that's, and you know, I tell them that's your option B. And it's like, they know that, but that's not what they want to hear over the years. They've really been hoping old Marshall could say, yes, I have a magic word. This incantation, say it. And the whole problem's going to be made right. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> Pow. There you go. Okay. Folks of my generation, that that one always rings a bell, you know. Yes. Younger kids today is like super what, you know. Oh, I understand you. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't watch Mary Poppins. Yes, so they, they wouldn't get that. I can't give yes. them Mary Poppins, all right, and Dick Van Dyke dancing with the penguins. But what I have to do is say, all right, what's their situation? Well, their situation is they have limited means. Right. I mean, this is not down there. I've done a lot of relocation consulting with people who have money. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, I really like working with those people. (laughs) I really love it. They respect my expertise and they treat me with deference. And I'm able to actually help them do things that are very constructive. And they do their homework. That amazes me. That reminds me, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but in terms of these underground survival shelters, have you been in contact with Vivos? I know, yeah, the Vivos guys, Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't do a Vivos for love nor money, you know. I mean, who are you going to be with, all right? I mean, that's important. You're, You're talking about their buying up these military facilities. It's, it's insane, right? And, well, I mean, this is, this is, they're selling a sheltering concept. All right. You're down there for a month, two months. So what if the guy next door to me is a drug dealer? We'll get along. All right. And 
but the tribulation is going to last 10 years. So do I want to go into a tribulation of a decade with basically what amounts to a community shotgun wedding? And that's what a Vivo structure is going to be. It's a community shotgun wedding. Right. I mean, tensions are going to run a mite high. Uh, they, No doubt, yes. <laughs> I could only imagine. So, you know, and it makes sense to people that cannot afford to spend at least a half a million to a million for a bunker. And those folks, they don't do Vivos. They'll spend a million dollars for their own bunker. All right. So they're, they're, Vivos is servicing a market that's kind of in between the people who are, you know, spending 50 bucks to make a backpack and people who are spending a half a million dollars to build a luxury underground I'll, condominium. I'll mention this to you, Marshall. I, I was invited to go to uh, an event out there in South Dakota, Vivos X Point. I, I guess they are doing some sort of gathering together out there. Nine. 9,000 uh, acres out there in South Dakota, and they have 575 private bunkers out there. I guess, I guess there's some sort of big event going on out there, and they invited me to do this program live out there, but I declined. Well, it's good. Actually, I've done, uh, we, I had somebody that needed an analysis of this, and I can tell you what, when I looked at this facility, I gave it a good look, the concerns that I had. And what they've done is they've gone out and purchased, these were ammunition bunkers. Mm. Well, you get inside them, it's just a concrete shell. That's all. And the way the, the government builds them because you're storing explosives is that the sidewalls are strong, but the, the tops are thinner. So that if they do blow, the force is directed upwards, doesn't go sideways where it would then propagate out into other structures and, you know, then you'd have a real hellstorm. So the ceilings are not strong as the walls are. That's going to be important in terms of solar radiation. The other thing looking at is, you know, I was asking, all right, what about water and sewage? Right. Okay. Gotta have you got to poop. Got to have gas. You know, Word. so, you know, they don't have that. Um I mean, if you want to build it out and make it look real sexy inside, that's fine. But what are you going to do if you've really built out your little bunker very nicely and the guys next to you are shoestringing it and all of a sudden now they're showing up at your door going, well, we didn't plan properly. We don't have enough food. My baby's dying because I don't have medicine and mom yeah. them down yeah, and we're, we're thirsty. We don't have water. Medicine. And you got to help us. We're human beings. We all human beings got to be together. What are you going to do? Good what question. are you going to do? Yeah. What can you do? Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I looked at this. And, That's when your morals come into play. Uh, <laughs> your morals are going to come into play pretty fast when you're looking down the business end of a 12 gauge. Of course. Okay. So, um, if somebody wants to go buy one of those, fine. I wouldn't. <laughs> Not in a million years. So, Marshall, you're you're trying to tell me here that just for only twenty five thousand dollars starting point, you're not going to claim your bunker today. Not there. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Yes. You know, I mean, um, no. I mean, my whole strategy is, you know, what you really want to do is organize with churches. 
faith-based organizations. And in my video, in my audiobook series, I'm talking about what are you looking for? What are you looking for in terms of uh, faith-based organizations as to membership and then to the leadership, which is absolutely crucial? Because these are the ones that are going to pull together when there is a last window of opportunity and they're going to get through because you have to have a cohesive community of a hundred or more people. I think 150 to 200 actually is the sweet zone. And these folks really need to have some strength going into it. They need to know each other. They need to have a common bond other than just wanting to survive and everybody showing up in this big community shotgun wedding, which will, you know, that once that happens, then you're going to have power grabs, black market, all kinds of problems because people, it's dog eat dog survival of the fittest. But think about a faith-based organization. They have three huge advantages. All right. First off is they have an existing chain of command that's respected. Sure. They're political. Good God. What isn't? All right. Yep. Nowadays there was an old saying in Russia. What do you have when you have one Russian standing in front of a door? You got a bureaucracy. Yes. All right. This is human nature, but faith-based organizations will have an established chain of command. They'll have a leader and they'll have elders. All right. And, People will know each other, and they'll know each other in a very good way because they're getting together on Sundays and they're worshiping together, and they're feeling that positive feedback that is a cumulative experience of being in church together. And if you have a leadership that has got some chutzpah, all right, and they can, you know, the leader can go, I see a clear and present danger, time to get my flock to safety. Now you got something to work with, and. What I'm trying to do is help people, these, particularly these junior grandparents, as I call them, to become, to find the right kind of faith-based organizations to align with and then how to approach them so that they don't come in from the bottom, but they come in from the top. Understood, yes. That is the strategy. And when you look at a faith-based organization, the first is, you know, you have leadership. That's the first. And I will tell you, over the years, I've seen a whole lot of secular survival communities come together. And in the absence of a clear and present danger, it's problematic. They have no problem building the shelters, stockpiling them, buying guns, doing all the whatever. They they scrounge all that up. But where they have a problem is if the big bada bing doesn't happen and they don't have a clear and present danger to keep them cohesive, then comes the political infighting as people vie for control of the community, then it fractures. Once it fractures, that's it. It's just like Humpty Dumpty off the wall. Yes. <laughs> also, technology for sure will fail. That's right. You know, there's a there's a fallacy amongst people who are preparing with the strategy that instead of safety in numbers, they're finding safety in technology. We're going, they, they're thinking in technological ideas about a time when technology is going away for a long period of time. It'll eventually reassume, come back, but you're going, we're going in out of a technology, technology age into an agrarian age, back into that. All right. So simple things work better. I mean, you know, yeah, it's nice to have an AR 15, but Take a look at a parts list on how many little gizmos are in an AR-15 and 
any number of those fail, you got a doorstop. On the other hand, buy yourself an old surplus 30 caliber, you know, bolt action rifle like a Mosin Nagant. All right. Ugly as sin, but <laughs> you can, you can shoot them all day and then use them to club something to death. All right. I mean, they're brutally reliable. So those are some of the basic things, but still the same. It is safety in numbers. That is the whole strategy. And it's, you know, and people go, well, that's untested. Where did you come up with such a crazy idea, Marshall, that there's safety in numbers? How are a 100 people going to survive during the tribulation working together? And I'm going, you ever heard of American pioneers? You know, the people that got on a sold the farm, bought right. a canister, yes. you know, bought a mm-hmm. wagon and, you know, sat there for half a year looking at the south end of a northbound oxen. Okay. And what did they do? Did they go out there onesies and twosies? No. They had brutally simple technology, but they went in numbers. And when there was a threat, they circled the wagons and covered each other's backs. Right. Now, there's a proven history of how you deal with our uh, adversity. All right. The pioneers who, you know, if you're west of the Mississippi, hello, you should know that. And still the day, you see, we still have this World War, Cold War mentality, you know, build your bomb bunkers. I mean, now you have modern suburban archaeologists that are really excited about finding these 1950 era, you know, uh, Cold War nuclear fallout shelters yeah. behind houses. They find them. It makes the evening news. Look at all this stuff that we found, you know, all this gizmos, me and mine stuff. All right. Look, the whole thing about Cold War shelter strategies is that they were never proven. They were never put to the test. Yep, that's but right. Pioneering strategies certainly were. And, you know, yes, everybody wants to put a nice yellow ribbon on things and, you know, nice package and they can say, okay, I'm going to buy everything I need just once and I don't have to do anything about it. I can just put it all in a corner in the garage and I am tribulation ready. Yeah. I'm you know? skeptical myself too. Yeah. You know, no. You know, preparedness is not a time or a place or a product. Preparedness is a state of mind. Right. That's it. And so you have to be prepared. You yeah, know, you need a game this plan. Devos, these guys. You know, they've got a sweet angle and they do very well and they're very successful with it because what they're doing is essentially selling this like fire insurance. Now think about it. There's what statistically two to three percent chance of your house burning down. Right. And on a three percent chance, you keep shelling out the money every month all the time. That's right. I mean, stop and think about it. If there's a three percent chance of planet X. Or something that would be uh, any kind of a crisis that would cause the end of life as we know it. People will look at that 3% risk and go, are you serious? Are you crazy? I have this 3%. I'm gonna, my house is going to burn down. What? Where does it say that one 3% risk is more or less than another 3% risk? And if that's the case, then what are you using? I mean, this is like what they do with competition events in schools today. No losers. Every kid walks away with a trophy. With a trophy, yes. Okay. 
I mean, I remembered there were just three trophies, first, second, and third. Our, our, that great line from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that old movie, you know, first prize is a Cadillac, second prize is steak knives, third prize, you're fired. And that's the reality of <laughs> yes. life. Not everybody gets a reward. So also, there has to be. Also, Marshall, no, no good deed goes unpunished. Oh, man, I've come to learn that. <laughs> oh, it's very true. I, I'm afraid so. <laughs> I am afraid so. Yeah, but you just, you know, you, you just, well, there's a great saying that was popular during World War II, illegitimi non corabundum. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Mm, yes, I've heard that one before. Yeah, so you keep going. And, you know, there was a guy that I met when I was in college. And I did a story on him for the school paper. And he always was interesting to me because he was blind and walked around with this huge portable reel-to-reel tape recorder. It must have weighed 40 pounds. Mm. And his wife went with him everywhere. This was before disabled access. They didn't have ramps. Everything was stairs. Yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she was always with him, walking him up down the stairs, and he'd go to the class and sit there and record the lecture with his reel-to-reel tape recorder, you know, with the big reels, not the small ones, and then he could go home and splice those together, and he would have all of his preparatory material done in a smaller reel. Before he took the test, he'd review that, walk in. The guy was a straight-A student. Dean's list. Wow. Every semester. And so I just was really impressed with him, and now the paper said, yeah, we'd like a story on this guy. So I was photographer and I went out and spent the day going around campus with him to his classes taking pictures and the love between him and his wife was just amazing yeah that's one of the things about that generation their marriages lasted a lot more than ours do yes and there's lots to say about that 50 percent of today's marriages end in divorce yeah they do you know I mean it's I remember this one young fellow went to a friend of mine who was a minister and said, I'm thinking about getting married. He said, what do you think? And he said, well, here's what I think. Build the house of your dreams and then give it to somebody who hates your guts. Oh, yes. It's easier than getting married. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's cynical, you know. It's uh Well, sometimes life is cynical. Yeah. Unfortunately. I agree. I agree. But anyway, this gentleman... um we, I was in, went to his house with him and I was sitting in his little workshop and I, it was absolutely surgically clean. Everything was in its place on hooks and all of that. And I was, you know, taking my notes and I said, well, you know, how did you, uh, how did you lose your sight? When did you go blind? Right. And he said, told me the story that during World War II, he was a motorcycle courier. And after we invaded on D-Day and uh, he was going through France to deliver messages and hit a bouncing Betty mine. Oh, no. Uh, the bouncing Bettys would come up a few feet and then detonate. Yes. What mm-hmm. really intending to do was to uh, take off a guy's genitals. Uh, right. That's, you know, that kind of really makes you worried. And so he got chunks of shrapnel in his back from this bouncing Betty and one piece of shrapnel worked its way into his neck and 
the doctors said that there was absolutely no way they could get it out without killing him. Ouch, yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things. And so he said it took, uh, took a while that, uh, it wasn't until the, uh, 60s that it had finally worked in and caused him to lose his sight. And I said, well, you know, there's modern medicines coming up with new things all the time. Uh, is there hope for some kind of new surgical procedure? And he said, no. As a matter of fact, not only did they tell me that there's no way to get it out, but that it's still moving around and I'm going to go deaf as well. And then it That's just terrible. hit me. This man was blind and now he was going to go deaf. Man. And... I have never cried like that in my entire life, not before and not since. I mean, the tears were just flooding down my face. Yeah, I don't blame you. I was struggling. I was struggling. You know, I didn't want him to feel self-conscious, but I mean, is he could hear what was going on. He could sense it. And he just leaned over and patted me on the knee and he said, it's okay. It's okay. Winners never quit. And quitters never win. And that just hit me like a bolt out of the blue. Yeah. It was an amazing epiphany. And so, Michael, when I have those days, and we all have those days, when you just want to say, oh, to hell with it. I'm just going to throw up my hands and be a victim and do nothing. And the bad guys are going to win. And rah, 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 rah. Yeah, that's that victim mentality right. that so many cling on to. That's right. That's right. And, but that memory, that's when I go back to that memory and I just remember that day with IMAX clarity and I just hear him saying, winners never quit and quitters never win. And when I do that, then I just go, well done, right forward. Let's get it done. And I get back to it. That's what it's going to take for the folks to survive what's coming. They're yes. just going to have to resolve to do it. Winners never quit. Quitters never win. Yes. And that is simply the truth of it. Right, Marshall. And sorry to interrupt you there, but you just mentioned what's to come. And lately, if you've been paying attention, and I know you definitely have, you've seen that blue object in the sky that many believe is the blue star Kachina. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot of good photographs, yeah. videos on YouTube. Now, there's some really good observations, some good genuine stuff, and then there's a fair share of carpetbaggers as well. Of course, with everything. As with everything, there's more carpetbaggers here. I mean, if we were talking about crocheting, I don't think you'd see so much junk on a crochet channel. Uh, but this topic pulls it out, and so, yeah, you're going to have your yutzes that are just doing something or, uh, you know, guys that are just, they want the AdSense revenue, which is ridiculous because, I mean, it's penny clicks, you know, in this genre. I mean, if you want to go make AdSense revenue, talk about rebuild generators for Audis or, you know, Mercedes. I mean, True. now you're talking some click-through traffic. Um, but a lot of it actually is uh, in, it's paid disinformationalists who are putting a lot of stuff out there that's junk. And their methods, and I've documented this in my videos. Um, I showed one incidence where, you know, it was clearly paid disinformationalist had planted the information, and uh, a very notable YouTube channel picked it up. And, you know, next thing, they're rebroad, 
excuse me, they're rebroadcasting a hoax and going, this is it. This is the real deal. And putting their credibility on the line without doing their due diligence and vetting their source. And people want to be first. Yeah, they want to be, they, they want to be the be ones wrong. that are credited with, yes, yeah. that guy saw it first. Like, you know, when folks are dying in the millions or the billions, who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant at that point. Fame is fleeting. And so I don't really get caught up in that. I am really right now just trying to help good people with big hearts and small wallets who love family and love their friends. I'm trying to help them help themselves in all that they love. Understood, yes. And so uh, I, I look at videos that are slapped up on YouTube, and, you know, maybe they spend 30 minutes, three hours at most, get a whole ton of views, and that's it. And that's about that's it, a, yeah. That's about it. I can tell you on my Two Suns in the Sky, these this three-part series, it took me three months to do this. And there's a lot of work. And you, do a, you do a great job, by the way, Marshall, I must say. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. And I do get a lot of, you know, really good mail of support. And then, you know, I get emails from, <laughs> you know, here's your stupid pill. I'm sure you get some wild ones, yes. Yeah, but I'm sure you get those as well. Marshall, it's funny that you say that because the other night I had on a flat earther. And I had been getting harassed for nearly half a year or more about allegedly holding back some sort of information on, on the flat earth. I just thought, when am I some sort of authority in, in any of that? And what does that have to do with me? So, you know, I, I folded and I brought in, brought in a, a flat earther for, uh huh. Yeah. Well, how'd that play? <laughs> well, you know, I like him. He's a, he's a nice uh-huh. guy. His name is Mark. Uh-huh. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, but did he sell you? Well, Marshall, you, you gotta understand, um, I'm quite open-minded, but I'm never married to one concept. Ah, oh, the eternal agnostic. Exactly. You know, you know me well, Marshall. You know I've always <laughs> been the agnostic atheist. Uh, well, you know, the flat earth thing, I got, I was doing an interview on another, uh, show and, Somebody was really had a bee in their bonnet about that. And uh, so what do you think about flat earth theory? And I go, I've been <laughs> when I was doing business in Russia in the 90s, I was flying back and forth over the North Pole. <laughs> I looked out the window. Yes. It looked curved to me. I didn't see a flat earth, you know, and then people the, are listening uh, to this right now who had just listened to that interview with Mark. They're probably smashing their their fist against their keyboards right now yeah but you know the response that i got on that was well do you know that the reason why the earth looks curved when you're in an airplane flying over the arctic is that the windows are designed to make it look that way yes i heard that explanation before They heard that, and I said, well, you know, that's funny because I was always flying on Aeroflot because Aleutian jets are a lot more comfortable than Boeing. Right. All right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was flying on Aleutian airliners that were made during the Cold War back in the 60s and the 70s. Do you have any evidence that the Soviets were in on this scam? And all I got back was silence, you know. That's so funny. Ooh, where are we going? 
Yes. So, it's, it's you a, know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> right. I, no, I don't buy flowers. I, I mean, Mark, I know if, you if are. Mark is listening now, I'm, yes, I'm referring to Mark. I, I hope he's not listening to this. Well, so I'll get some nasty letters. Wouldn't be the last time. I'm sure you will. I mean, I, I know, I know for a fact I'm going, I'm going to hear it after the show. I know that. Yeah. But yeah. that's, that's life and that's the internet. That's life. And it, but you know, it's in other fields as well. Well, yeah, for, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, you know, like for example, amongst gunnies, Glock owners have a terrible reputation that if you talk about any other brand of pistol than a Glock, you're not talking about a gun. You're talking about a piece of garbage and they will harangue you and harass you and really just make yeah, a big yeah, do on your parade. Yeah, okay. Because you're not doing what they want. It's like, yeah, I got a Glock. It's not my favorite weapon. I much rather use my Sig Sauer. But anyway, yeah, uh, there's people that are very passionate. So you never know what, what they're going to do. Yeah. 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 Then you, you never know. You never know. And we're no longer in an age of civility. No, not at all. See, and that, that reminds me of just what happened during, um, Hurricane Katrina uh-huh. and how people were acting. So that should be a good indication how most of society is probably going to react when the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan. Well, an excellent example is the Costa Concordia. You know, remember that cruise ship? That, uh, ran aground? Yes. Unfortunately I do because I, I hate cruise ships and I, I don't want to ever be out in the ocean because the ocean scares me to death. Okay. And I get seasick uh-huh. easily too, so. Well. Bias yeah, views. There's that. There's that. But the interesting thing about the Casa Concordia was that, you know, we, we watch in the movies like Titanic. Right. How it was just the guy who owned the ship was a schmuck and got on board <laughs> with a bunch of women to get out of there and save his yeah. soul. But all these other men were waving goodbye to their family saying, we'll see you in New York, knowing they're going to drown like rats. Okay. And there was that civility, women and children first, right? Well, on Casa Concordia, they were throwing ropes over the rope ladders over the side of the ship so they could get crawl down the side of the ship and get to the rescue craft. And, what was happening was that grown men were scrambling down these ladder ropes and pushing women and children out of their way so that they could get to the rescue boats first. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah, that's the mentality of what we have. That's the reason why uh, I look at, like, Vivos, and I'm going, I could just see a bunch of, you know, grown men scrambling down the ropes yeah. kicking and children out of the way. I could see that happening too, no doubt. So again, this really has to come back to what I believe is the real strength, and that's faith-based organizations. Correct. So and people come together. If you're going to, frankly, if you hope to walk out of the tribulation alive, you're going to have to walk through it with God. That's it. Yes. So let let's say. The object that was photographed is the Blue Star Kachina. Mm-hmm. Do you well, think? Do you think NASA would tell us anything? Do you think they would never, lie to us? Never a straight answer. Well, that's I, what yes, I mean. I everybody think, knows NASA yeah, means mm-hmm. never a straight answer. Right. And NASA 
will tell us whatever NASA is told to tell us. And that's the bottom line. The whole conversation is throttled and controlled by a handful of elites, the 1% of the 1%. Mm-hmm. Mar- Marshall, you know, can, you, can you give us an example, however, of just one thing NASA has done in that, in your opinion, they just lied about? IRAS, 1983. They said that the cryogenic cooling system on board the IRAS failed, so they couldn't do any more image analysis. Mm-hmm. And um I've had people with top security clearance who read the jacket and said, no, that's not what happened. They were out there with IRAS looking for Nemesis, the dark star companion to our own sun. They found it in infrared, stands out like a sore thumb. And the minute they found it, they cooked up this cockamamie story about the cryogenic cooling system freezing, you know, failing so that they would have an explanation as to why they were still sending commands to the spacecraft, navigation Mm. commands to the spacecraft, which other people could be monitoring. Right. And what they did was once they put up the cover story, and by the year, the Europeans who were invested in the project didn't buy it. They complained rather bitterly about it. And they knew they were being sold a bill of goods. NASA shut down the feed because they had a lock a visual lock on Nemesis, and they wanted to track it for as long as they could to develop an ephemeris. An ephemeris is just, it helps you to know where something, you know, it's like a train schedule. Where is it going to be and when? All right. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to track it. There's another good example of NASA suppressing information and I learned this from Dr. Brian Marsden of the Smithsonian Astrophysics Lab, who was absolutely incensed. Uh, for those folks who can remember the Internet back in the 90s, uh, we would, you know, have these British tabloids all of a sudden with the splashy headlines, asteroid will hit Earth and kill everybody. All right. What was happening was they were tracking the Internet traffic between professional astronomers and astronomers would observe an asteroid and they would say, well, there is a a small possibility that it is an Earth crossing orbit, which means it's an impactor. And inevitably, the longer they observed it, the more detailed the ephemeris, the more accurate the ephemeris, they would determine uh, be close, but no cigar. It's not to worry about. Mm. But the tabloids weren't interested in that story. They were interested in the initial discovery where it was, it's got a one in 35 chance of hitting the earth and killing everybody and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I see. And so this was causing NASA an awful lot of grief because the phones would light up. So what NASA decided to do was suppress free speech and research in the astronomy community. And folks don't understand that, you know, they have a lot – the government controls what astronomers can do. I mean, if you step out of line and you're an astronomer and you talk about something like Nemesis or Planet X, you're doing the same thing as pilots who are going to get out on the microphone into the cabin. If everyone would look out the right side of the aircraft, you'll see that we're being tracked by a UFO. You know, like when was the last time you heard that on a flight? Pilots, you ask them, did you see a UFO? (laughs) Excuse me, i got to go to the bathroom. All right? And that's what they do because they understand if they start talking about UFOs, they'll lose their job. They could even lose their license. 
and they can't fly anymore and they can't work as pilots. There's that much suppression. So if they're suppressing pilots that easily, intimidating them with their livelihoods, where does it say they can't do it to astronomers? True. Which is what they're doing. Okay. So what did NASA do in the 90s when you have all these astronomers and they're reporting it? Because what they're trying to do is get this information out quickly so other astronomers will look into it and help them to develop this ephemeris in a very detailed way with as many observations quickly as possible. That was the reason why they were making the conversation public. Now, NASA could have gone out and done a public education. They could have humiliated these press accounts, and that they could have used the bully puppet very well. And at which point these tabloids are going, you know, that's it. We're we're <laughs> we're cutting off our nose to spite our face here if we're going to keep doing this. Now they didn't go after the people who were creating the crisis. They went after the astronomers and said, if you find something, you will report it to us, and it doesn't go public until we say it goes public. Mm, and interesting. If you, and if you don't do what we're telling you to do, welcome to the wonderful world of fast food, because you ain't going to be working as an astronomer anymore. That's right. Okay? You know, Marshall. And so they throttled. NASA went out and throttled mm-hmm. it. And how do you know? Because after they did that, we went from tabloids going, asteroids going to hit the Earth and kill us all, to NASA reports three days ago an asteroid passed close to the Earth. So we always have these after the fact. That's true. Non-event flyby reports now. Okay? Yeah, you're right That's about that. That's what we have. Think it through. You know, so NASA's lying through their teeth to us. Mm-hmm. Those are two clear examples, but I'm sure there are people out that are going to go, but I love NASA. (laughs) Well, of course. I can't believe. I can't believe. Yes. Lots of people can't believe once they've been deceived so many times and they'll try to defend the people that deceived them the first time. It's, it's quite strange to see that sort of behavior, but Marshall, you just reminded me of a moon rock that was given to uh, Holland, this Holland Museum by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and I believe it turned out to be a fake. Huh. Do you remember that story? No, but I mean, that sounds. Yeah, there was a, there, pretty it was, interesting. Yeah, it was a moon they rock gave, given to the Dutch Prime Minister by Apollo 11 astronauts back in 1969, and they tested it, and it turned out to be fake. How did they determine that it was fake? I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, I'm going to have to bring that article up now because I, I clearly remember seeing a story about that. <laughs> well, nothing surprises me anymore. I've seen all the suppression on this over the years. Yeah, yeah. and I, re- I remember a, I remember them saying something about the, the moon rocks being lost in space. So, you know, danger, it, it's danger, a, Will Robinson. It's a danger, very danger. It's such a weird, I guess, I guess we can label this as some sort of conspiracy i guess it's it's a strange one really once we start talking about the moon and did we go there or not it's it's a very romantic type of conspiracy i'd have to say well you know i i do believe we went to the moon uh, on my podcast i actually interviewed one of the uh, astronauts who did land on the moon piloted the vehicle and uh so i found him to be quite credible and i know that those theories exist, but 
There's so many wild ones out there, yes. There are, and one thing that people really need to understand is a lot of times there's a real purpose to all of these crazy conspiracy theories, rabbit holes. They get people running mm-hmm. down rabbit holes, and that is a great way to exhaust attention. And once they've run you down a rabbit hole, then, yeah, okay, I'm just going to go back to being a consumer. I'm tired of doing this research. And that's what they do. Yeah, I see it again and again and again, especially with what I call expectation stampedes. Um, remember blood moon triad theory? I do. Yeah. Well, that really turned out to be a non-event of sorts. Of course. And... I saw it coming. I knew that nothing was going to happen because the paid disinformationalists, I can read them really easy. I see their tactics and do. And what people don't understand about propaganda, misinformation, disinformation, and why it works so effectively. It's real. Is that not only is it real, but they want you to know it's real and they make you think you are immune to it because you are smarter than the average bear. That's the reason why it works, because people say to themselves, well, everybody knows it's out there, but I am too clever to be suckered in by it. And next thing you know, they're buying swamp land in Florida. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's the way that works. And if they can take people and run them at something with a date-driven event, then well, now, they can use expectations to yeah. exhaust attention. They get all these people whipped up. They'll find it, and they whip it up. Somebody will have the idea, and the idea seems to catch hold. Well, and it's, put, fun, it's funny that you say that, because now I want to ask you about Robert Bigelow, owner of Bigelow Aerospace, who, of course, you already had heard of his 60 Minutes interview that he did when he disclosed his opinion on aliens. I've been busy working on my video. I missed it. Oh, well, Sorry. He's, he's another another one of these gentlemen who claim they're going to take the public out to space. But I don't ever think that's going to happen. Well, I think there is a lot of capability right now to do that. I, I, I'm not denying the capability of it. I just don't see how... There's going to be a, a big market for regular consumers to just be taking these trips out there. It's going to cost a lot of money. Yes, but they'll get the cost down, and there's always going Eventually, to be right? people that are extremely wealthy that will right. go into it. How many folks can afford to take a cruise on the Northwest Passage? That's a really expensive cruise. Yes. Because that ship right. leaves, and they have to shelter and harbor while they wait for ice flows to break up or an icebreaker to show up. Yeah, that's pricey, takes right. a long time. Very, very, very pricey. Very pricey. They have no problem finding enough people who have the money to do that. So in terms of space ter- tourism, excuse me, the money's there, but where the real money is going to be is in mining for resources. Eventually, there'll probably be quite a huge Huge effort to get out to the uh, belt there, uh, the asteroid belt, and start mining asteroids where they could even find one and tow it into a closer proximity orbit. And they can start mining it, go to the moon, mining it. They go anywhere where they can find something of value that people are going to pay for. We're saying 
Donald Trump is going global warming is a hoax. He ought to go up and talk to the Inuit <laughs> up in the northern reaches of Canada. And they're seeing global warming changing the entire scenery in a very huge and dramatic way. And it is really happening. And not only is it really happening, what they're also seeing is all these corporations that Donald Trump is buddy-buddy with that are making a ton of money are going, global warming is a godsend. We have new places to drill for oil, to dig for uranium, gold, other precious metals. They're going up there to exploit resources that are available now because the ice and the snow are melting. And in areas where you used to have glaciers, now you have grassy fields. But Trump tells us it's a hoax. It's it's really insane. By the way, Marshall, are you open to take a phone call or two? If they're polite. (laughs) No problem. Well, if anyone is out there and wants to call into the program, here is your chance. That number is 760-332-8947. I'll give you that number one more time. 760-332-8947. Or you can contact me through Skype, end of days Mike, letter Y, not the letter I, and all of that together, and you'll find me there. That number is 760-332-8947. There you go. Give us a call or forever hold your peace. <laughs> yeah, so there's that number. Hopefully someone, anyone out there wants to give us a call here to talk about the Blue Kachina or anything else, really. But yeah, Marshall, let's talk about the Hopi prophecy here for a second. The Blue Kachina, Red Kachina prophecy... And if you notice on my video, Two Suns in the Sky, yes, I'm wearing a bolo tie. I see that. And it has, it's a kachina, and it's a bolo tie representing both the red kachina. Uh-oh, Marshall, I believe Uh-oh, someone Marshall. had just joined us. Can you please turn down your stream there? Uh, it's off. Oh, there you go. What's going on? Did you have a question for Mr. Marshall Masters here? Hi, Mike. Hi, Marshall. Hello. I spoke to you the last time you were on with Mike, so it's good hearing you again. Um, I have a couple of things to say. Uh, when you were speaking earlier on in the show about the church groups having uh, strong leaders when the time came for, or when the time comes, they will lead their flock. Just make sure anyone in the flock has a stable leader. You 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 don't want to go cult like. Um, Agree. And I I actually in the program I offer a very specific way to the first thing you have to do is just go pray with the people and see. Ask yourself, hey, could I hang with these people for ten years during the end of life as we know it? All right. And if you can do that, then you have to take a real hard look at the leadership. And I have a very specific process that I recommend in that uh, cult leaders are not going to be good tribulation leaders. Uh, the next thing is what you or someone maybe in the chat, we were talking about uh, the waste, Make, you know, having enough toilet paper. What's going to happen when the, the septic tank gets full or stuff like that? Good Lord. There are 
waste, disciple the waste into energy. I was, years ago, I was listening or reading something about a pig farmer that would recycle it, all the waste was washed down in its channel that led to, uh, its own recycling, uh, apparatus. And uh-huh. Cycle that in the energy used to run the lights and the motors and all that stuff. So that's what you do with your waste. You recycle it into the energy to keep going. Um, and oh, early when we first started, we were talking about the latest attacks in London. And if anyone has ever read anything from, I'm not familiar with the Quran, but I do know that, uh, a terrorist will go to hell, and they believe they will go to hell if they're killed by a woman or come in contact with pig or swine. But what you do, like uh, the Kurds have, uh, uh, women warriors, their soldiers are men and women, lots of women. The women are on the front lines, and the the uh, radical Islam scatter. I've seen the videos on YouTube of these women soldiers going into a town and you see these little guys just taking off into the desert. Ah! And also, let them know that there will be snipers, so you don't hit innocent when you do it surgically. Just get the word out that snipers have bullets in pig blood. I will guarantee you that if that, that uh, strategy is used and known to be used, if it's put out there, this thing could be wrapped up in a year. That's just my theory. That's just my feeling. Women warriors and snipers with bullets dipped in pig blood. That's it. <laughs> well, that's quite the Actually, uh, General George Pershing proved that in the Philippines during a right, Muslim right. insurrection. That's where I got the idea. And, uh, he, they, they had a bunch of folks that were to be executed and they went and dipped the bullets in pig fat and shot them. And after that, the revolution just Came to a screeching halt. Well, what happened was they shot everyone but one, and they gave this one one of the bullets. I thought it was pig blood, pig fat. Anyway, dipped in pig. Take it back to whomever the leader was at the time, and tell them what happened. And that really helped wind things down. So yeah, I just advertise all the bullets or sniper bullets are dipped in. Pig fat or pig, anything pig, and women warriors, and this thing will get wrapped up. I really feel it in my bones. <laughs> I love the, I love the women lawyer angle. <laughs> angle. That's, I, mean, I get a kick out of that. I want some bacon so now. I, yeah. The Islamic radicals, the terrorists, won't like it one bit, especially if they die, well, especially if their buddies see their other buddies killed, think they're going to hell. So, um. yeah. There's, there's, that's a big thing with them. You don't, they don't want to go to hell. They want to go where the versions are. Okay, so that's in their mind. So you have to understand the psychology. Plus, uh, this is really the grievous thing. A lot of these radicals, uh, in the Mideast mostly, are raised. The babies are taken from their mothers in many cases, and they're raised, just like with uh, Hitler. The babies were taken to be raised in the brown shirts. These babies are taken and raised. These soldiers and are put on the front line as single-digit-year-old children. And who is going to want to shoot a child from the other side? That it's all psychological with them. It, it's 
and if we can step in their shoes for a moment to see how they think and how they want to conquer using all of these areas, we could definitely turn the tables a lot faster. But that's just my thing. Okay, I'm going to hop off. And yeah, thanks I'll for the call. Next time you're on. Thank you. And that was Star. Mm. Thank you for That's the call, the by the way. Yes. So, Where do we go from here? <laughs> well, back to the blue kachina. Here we go once again. <laughs> back to the blue kachina. Back to the blue kachina. Yes, my goodness. There's really not. There's really not too much we can say after a call like that, right? Other than you're wondering if you're going to be the target of a fatwa, but right. Yeah, as I sit here, Marshall, it's really difficult to to not truly believe that these are the end of days. I'll be honest with you, Michael. I don't care what anybody believes. I don't. That's not my job to care about what they believe. I'm with you on That's that one. That's for them. Yes. My job is just give people information they can use to make an informed decision. That's it. That's all I care about, just getting information to people they can make. But when the minute you start talking the word believe, you're in a realm of twilight zone logic. It really boils down to I want to believe this or I want to believe that. It's the realm of what's called cognitive dissonance. Oh, yes. And cognitive dissonance is a term psychologists use that if we wanted a simple layman's explanation of it is cognitive dissonance means I don't want to believe it, so that's the final say on it. Yes, like confirmation biasness. That's right. Mm-hmm. And people are going to do this. Excuse me. We're going to have a lot of this when we have it. You're asking about the Kachina. Yes, well, the pole I shift. think the, the blue Kachina and the red Kachina are actually one object, not two. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Because you have to look at a phenomena called blue shift, Stoppler, right? As something is, you know, when it's approaching, it's blue. When it's going, you know, and red, it's shifting. It's going away. So this is, when we see the blue Kachina first, we know it's coming. When it's turns red, then we know it's going. And that's Doppler blue shift. So they're talking about the same object. It's just that they didn't understand the principles of it. And the point here is not what we're going to see. You you were using the word believe. Let's go back to believe. Okay. Because what I tell folks is going to happen is one day, we're going to see. I get really good quality reports coming in of people seeing two suns in the sky. I've been putting up good reports for a long time. But Planet X is like UFOs. No one's going to believe they exist until, until a spaceship there. lands and they start eating your face. Right. Right. At that time, it's a little late, but that's what people are going to do. So what will happen when, when everyone's seeing it? When we do have two suns in the sky. Call it blue kachina, call it red kachina, call it the great pumpkin, call it whatever you want. I just call it the big ugly rock. So we see it out in the sky. What we're going to see is a bunch of people standing out on the street, pointing up, going, wow, you ever seen anything like that? No. You know, let's go watch CNN. Maybe they can tell us. So they're going to watch a fake news channel to get the information. So what is the fake news channel going to say? Don't worry, folks. Don't worry, yeah. It's just an interesting light show. Go forth and consume as before. Pay your taxes. Go to work on time. And there you are. And this is what they're going to do. And I will tell you, 
90, 95% of the people are going to see that in the sky. They're going to hear. It's just an interesting light show. They're going to go, okay, good. Works for me. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. And that's it. That is the realm of belief. That is the realm of cognitive dissonance. If I don't want it to be so, I just have to say I don't believe it is so. Forget the evidence. You know, there's mm-hmm. that old expression, you know, if you can't confuse them with facts, uh, fool them. Well, can't say the rest of it because we're on the <laughs> Well, you're free to do yeah, so. so. It's We're pretty yeah. uncensored here. So that's what's going to happen. And I know that's going to happen, particularly in the areas where people are at the greatest risk. That's where the denial is going to be strongest because that's where the denial is already strongest. I can go into a small Midwestern area and people go, oh, I know you. Uh, I show up somewhere like in San Francisco and nobody has ever heard of me. Nobody wants to hear, let alone Planet X. You just don't have the interest in those areas. The more at risk people intuitively understand, the more they surround themselves with a denial bubble so that the information doesn't get in. So it doesn't matter, Michael, when everybody sees it. Right. This question of when am I going to see it with my own two eyes to me is saying, when do I decide that I'm going to die like a stupid mullet? Correct. Because I watched them on CNN say it's just an interesting light show. I'm interested in the people that could look at that and say, I don't care what these script readers, these news entertainers are saying. I see a clear and present danger, and I need to take action. In other words, do I see it as a clear and present danger? It's not important that you see Nibiru. It is important that you see a clear and present danger. Correct. And will there be 15 days of darkness like we discussed the last time you were here on the program? That will happen when well into the tribulation, Nibiru passes between the Earth and Venus, and that's when it goes pitch black because you have a large planet. We're not talking about the moon. We're talking about something anywhere, depending on how people base it, between five to seven times the size of the Earth. Something that big is going to block out the sun completely, and that is when we are going to experience darkness in a whole new way. I can only imagine what people are going to be Acting like when that happens, Marshall. They're going to be afraid. There's going to be horror. There's going to be terror amongst the ones who are not prepared, who do not understand what is happening. If people are being caught flat-footed because they do not understand the process of what is happening, then they are going to be in a total panic. They're dealing with something that is threatening and yet, they have no earthly idea of what it is, why it's happening, and how it's going to unfold. And that is really going to stir up a lot of the panic. On the other hand, people that do understand what the natural process is, what's going to happen, and in what stages and when, are going to be prepared for it. doesn't mean they're going to embrace the moment. Oh, goody, we get to see a lot of people die. <laughs> yes. They're just going to be better prepared for it. That was what I was really aiming to do with my book, Surviving the Planet X Tribulation, a faith-based leadership guide. That book is written to two audiences, people in awareness and the future leaders of faith-based survival communities. Yes, and people can find that at yaousa.com. That's right, and it's also on Amazon and other booksellers. Just go to planetxtribulation.com. It's the fastest way to get it. 
you read that book and it's part of the strategy of helping folks in awareness come in through the top as opposed to coming in through the bottom where their initial contact with a church is going to be at the leadership level and where they are going to be able to become a particular value to the leaders because they will be centered. They will be calm. What folks in awareness do not realize, they measure their value in terms of consumers. Consumers value themselves by what they do not have, not by what they do have. I do not have the newest car. I do not have the nicest house on the block. I do not have this. I do not have that. I do not have the other thing. So I'm going to do something to acquire what it is I do not have so that now I have it. That is the whole consumer mindset. Right. You see your life as a glass that is half empty. True. If you're in awareness, usually this is something that started for you early, in most cases when you were a child. And you've had many years to process your dreams, visions, and premonitions and to emotionally and spiritually, intellectually prepare yourself what's coming. Now, take that process. I do, I address this particularly in my video, Precognition in the Five Stages of Catastrophism. And I explain this process, which can take years, if not decades, to go through the full cycle of the process. But if you've done it, You've gotten far enough ahead in it. All of a sudden, you are centered. You become the eye of the storm for those leaders. Not only are you going to know the information, but you're not running around wild-eyed, racing up and down with pontificating ideas that are just coming out your backside. You've had a chance to really sit down, think about it, analyze it, find some sort of peace with it, with this knowing. And leaders are going to see that in your demeanor. They're going to have people running up with checkbooks that are going to be wild-eyed, crazy, and going, how much you need? How do I write it to? You know, because these people are going to realize their checkbooks are freshness dated. And once their checkbooks are useless, guess what? They're useless eaters. That's right. They understand that. What the leadership of a community is going to need is somebody who is calm, centered, and understands the process of the tribulation how events will unfold, and what needs to be done to prepare for those as best as possible. So there is that accumulation of knowledge and sense of self, and so that you have the right demeanor, that you all of a sudden are the person who is going to be very useful to leaders. Look at it this way. Let's assume I wrote a book titled How to Win a World War on Two Fronts, and I published that book on... December 5th, 1941. How many advanced copies do you think I'd sell? Hmm. On the other hand, if I publish that same book on December 9th, Hmm. 1941, what do you think my sales would be at that point? Timing is everything. It really, you know, it really is. Yes. Interestingly enough, there was a book very much like that that was written in the 1930s, or excuse me, in in the late 20s. General Billy Mitchell. He was on a junket to the Orient. When he came back, he wrote a book. I think it was like late 20s or the early 30s, but he wrote a book. And in that book, he predicted the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. He predicted the date, December 7th, 1941. That was in his paper, 300 pages. 
He not only did that, he predicted exactly the manner of the attack, the type of aircraft used, the kind of weaponry used, and how they would execute it. After he published that, there was a huge furor and outrage. People's sensibilities were offended. How do you say something so outrageous about our good friends, the Japanese? Shame on you. There was such anger over his book that he was given two options. He could retire, withdraw the paper, and retire and keep his pension, or he could do a court-martial to defend his paper and put everything on the line. He decided to just take the money and leave. It was a smart decision. So whatever happened to the papers? Well, frankly, there's a lot of folks that feel that the Japanese kept a copy of it. I mean, think about it. Someone you're going to attack has already humiliated someone who's given the battle plan. So you know they're not going to be expecting it, that you're going to be able to blindside them. Yes, I'm reading Billy an article Mitchell now. Was, he was absolutely so precise in every technical detail except one. He actually got the exact time that the attack began. He was off by about 40 minutes. He said 10.40 a.m. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm reading this now. You, you know, right. I recall hearing about this a, a long time ago, and I, I knew that name sounded familiar, and then I brought up this article, and everything kind of <laughs> fell back into place. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. So this is why I'm not interested in what people believe, because people are going to believe whatever it is that they want to believe. True. And that's it. But there are those that are willing to use their noodle to think for themselves. Marshall, let me ask you another random question here. Mm. You have dreams. that We all do. Have you had any apocalyptic dreams? Yes, I saw what was going to happen. Um, this was many years ago in Texas, half a lifetime ago. And I had the same prophetic vision night after night after night. It would start exactly the same way, end exactly the same way. I could get up in the middle of the night as often as I wanted in the dream. It was like just hitting the pause play button. Yes. I could get drunk, stoned, not have enough sleep. Whatever I wanted to do still would have it. It was IMAX clarity. It was absolutely horrible. I was seeing a vision of a triage center where people were coming to live or die. It would be a few decades later that I actually found the very exact spot where I was standing in that prophetic dream. And if you go on YouTube, look at my, I documented that in my series, the 2012 Wisdom of the Elohim, and I did a video series and I talked about it, but it was also the basis of my first book, God's Child Covenant, Return of Nibiru. And that was the very first book I wrote. I think it was back in 2002, and it was a very successful uh, science fiction novel. I really enjoyed writing that. So, yes, I've had the prophetic mm -hmm. dreams and visions. That's why I understand. I've had numerous different spiritual experiences, and I've been given information, but I don't see myself as being special in any regard because I talk to so many people who have the, the same, same experience. The same experiences, right. Right. So there's yeah, nothing, nothing original about me. I'm just another one of the pack. Understood. 
By the way, I was looking at your website and you had an article that is titled, Do Extraterrestrials Believe in God? Yeah. Well, do they? It's really interesting. This is the free group and this is on my podcast. And mm-hmm. this group is actually talking a lot with experiencers and we've seen the books that have been written about folks that are abducted and have very bad and terrible experiences. And this does happen. But one of the things that's important to understand is that these authors tend to cherry pick a small set of people. They're looking for people that have negative experiences because fear sells. Of course. Okay. Fear porn is what gets the numbers. And if you want to write a book that's going to generate numbers, you want to scare people. And Free is not doing that. They're actually talking to the experiencers, and they're finding out that in a small percentage of cases, there are negative experiences, principally with the reptilians. But by and large, the vast majority of people who have these experiences find them to be very life-affirming and positive Mm -hmm. and enlightening. And they welcome additional contacts and ongoing relationships with these ETs that have chosen them for one reason or another. I really like the work that they're doing. It's based in good science. I think it's free is uh, something that people should really get out, take a hard look at it because they are coming out with really good information. So you believe firmly in the abduction phenomenon? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've seen UFOs, so I'm, there's no question in my mind. Some people believe that people are not being physically abducted, that they're being abducted through the astral plane. Do you think that's likely? Or do you think they do that uh, in both ways? Both ways. Uh, that's one of the things that they're finding in this thing with, and by the way, this community Free was is the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for ah, yes. Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mitchell, and I interviewed him on my show, he was one of the NASA astronauts who actually piloted a lunar lander right. down to the surface. So he started this, and he's taking a very excellent approach to the whole thing of applying science to it, doing good statistical trend work. What they're saying is that, In many of the contacts with these ETs, the big interest for the ETs is about our ascension, our evolution, that we come to a higher plane of consciousness and that that's happening. One of the things I talk about in Two Suns in the Sky, Mm -hmm. again, people just go to twosunsinthesky.com and watch it, is that this coming tribulation is a classic battle of good and evil. There are those that want to see us evolve. There are those that don't. The dark side, which is existing on multiple planes of existence, we are a feedstock species for them. If they can provoke the worst in us, then when we go into some some pastel shade version of a fear-based emotion, we start hemorrhaging life force energy. And dark entities cannot make it because they're going away from it, but they need it to exist. So rather than following the path towards God, they're going away from God because they want those material pleasures that they have. 
or whatever their bag is, and they're just feeding off of us. They're parasites. Well, if we evolve, we go to a higher, excuse me, level of ascension, we're going to be beyond their control. Imagine what happens if all of the cattle in a feedlot know what's going to happen to them. Mm, yes. How easy is it going to be to butcher those cows? Right. Same thing with us. If we evolve, we'll see what's happening. We'll be beyond their reach. They lose a huge, huge major food source for them. So they don't want us to evolve. You know, that reminds me, speaking of the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell, he was also mentioned in the great WikiLeak uh, scandal that was going on with, um, as you know, Hillary Clinton, and his name was proposed there by John Podesta, if you remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you saw this article that came out not too long ago about Hillary Clinton. Um, she said something about that she would have definitely talked a lot more about UFOs if she had became the president. Uh, what, why would she say something like that again? She's been talking about that since 2016. Mm. Is that, was that her attempt to try to get people to vote for her? Because, Who knows? You know, but I'm kind we of, have this, uh, I don't know they, about this whole disclosure we, thing. You know, I'm very weary of that. We're not going to have disclosure. I don't think so. This is not going to happen. Disclosure is going to be when all of a sudden it's there and it's inevitable. Otherwise, there's this keeping the lid on it. And they always do it. The, the usual reason is it's for our own good. I think that's a really awful reason because species that come in contact with other species that have greater technology do not do well, especially when they're caught off guard. It also prevents us from building an understanding of who we can work with, who we can forge alliances with, and who we cannot. I wouldn't expect other races from other world to be that different from us. You're going to have the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the majority of them are going to be good. If the majority of the races that were in our universe were evil, there would be no life. It would be total yeah. darkness. Right. Right. Simple, you know, after uh, an animal has X number of parasites sucking at blood, it dies and the parasites die along with it unless they can find another creature to drain. And if all the creatures are drained, that's it. Everybody dies together. But that's the illogical sense of it. So we know there's a lot more positive than bad. Bad just simply has a way of amplifying its presence, making itself seem bigger than what it is. So I formed for the people an awareness because one of the things that they complain about to me again and again and again is during the course of their lives, they've been kicked out of more churches and study groups than they can remember because they ask questions that are not on the Thou shalt only ask questions from this list. list. Correct, yes. They go off list, all right? And yet, they're very spiritual people. They want to pursue. So I started 2015. I started Knowledge Mountain Church of Perpetual Genesis. And I started it for people in awareness. It's not a replacement faith. If your core religion works for you, groovy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You just fill in the gaps for the uh, off-list questions that you want to ask about Planet X and the coming tribulation. And I see these people being 
very strong in terms of their ability to get through the tribulation, to think their way through the tribulation, to use their awareness. They undervalue it again because they're thinking like consumers instead of people in awareness and understanding the strength of their awareness and where it's going to become extremely valuable to people. Yeah, this agree. is the, this is the path I walk. These are the people I serve. I, we're not a Big Ten operation, that's for sure. Well, I always do appreciate your honesty, Marshall, and you are doing a good thing here. Many people aren't doing exactly what you're trying to accomplish here. I know. Because that market isn't so, I guess you can say it's not, it's not so profitable, is it? Well, there's just, how do you put a, you know, prosperity angle on Nibiru? <laughs> it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, I know. I mean, it's you a could, hard sell. You could go and, in, yeah, you could go inside some random building and, and ask someone if, if they know what Planet X and Nubiru is, and they, they probably won't know. No clue. They'll clueless and leave it at that. But well, I see the people, yes. and God has a plan for these people. It's the reason why they're scattered to the winds. Marshall. Imagine what would happen if all of the people in awareness lived in Poughkeepsie. Mm. That's great. You yes. Drop a bomb on Poughkeepsie is the end of awareness. Marshall, here on the program, I've been talking a lot about mass deception and being perfectly brainwashed without realization. And I truly believe that 65 to 75 percent of the population are completely brainwashed. Um, would you say that's a fair assessment or do you think I'm wrong for thinking that? You're absolutely right. And believe it or not, I addressed that issue in my series, Two Sons in the Sky. <laughs> Did you really? The subtitle is Who Lives, Who Dies. Yes. And I exactly what you're talking about. I devote a lot of time in that series explaining it because for folks in awareness, this is the most difficult question. Why is it so many people are so blind? Worse yet, not only are they blind, being in awareness, it's like being the only one-eyed person in the land of the blind. And all you hear from all the blind people is, hey, stupid, get a sharp stick, poke out your one good eye so you can be smart like us. So true. That's the whole point of awareness. So Very remarkable, yes. Talk to a limited few that I can help. It's not easy. I've made a lot of sacrifices in my life to do it, but I did come to the understanding that what I'm doing now is what I told Creator I would do before I was born. The deal's a deal. By the way, I name-dropped you when I interviewed Susan Shumsky. You both um, had someone familiar in your life, I recall. Susan, nice gal. Yeah. I like Susan. She's fun to talk to. She is. She is. I've had a lot of conversations with Susan, and her books are very good. Yeah, she's an interesting individual, I'd say. Very enlightened. Yes, yes. And I think of all the books that Susan has written, there was the one about how to talk to God. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. That is the one that, to me, is really... Of all of her books, they're all excellent. And this is one that everybody should read, How to Hear the Voice of God, because this is a skill everybody has. Everyone can do it. And we're sold a bill of goods by mainstream faiths that 
You have to study mystic arcane texts for decades, and you're always going to be just out of reach of the answer, but like the donkey cherishing a carrot on the stick, you can't help yourself, and it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. No, you want to talk to God. What you got to do is not what you have to learn. It's the nonsense you have to unlearn. So true. Unlearn the nonsense. Talking to God is really easy. Really, really easy. <laughs> and all of this nonsense, this the layers and layers of mysticism, it doesn't work. There was uh, Unification Church, Reverend Sun Yun Moon, designed the philosophy of his church so that he could literally, that's how he held his disciples. They never could quite get the complete answer. So they just hung in and hung in and hung in. And he had them hook, line, and sinker. Where he finally realized was that people like to have sex. And after being a monk or a celibate for five <laughs> years, that's it. You start getting crazy. Well, correct. And that's the reason why they were losing people. 90% of the people were dropping out in, in the educated classes. Reverend Moon had two classes of people, ones out selling flowers and they just ran through them like, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> they were just, they were just gerbils in a wheel. Right. I, I can imagine. But they would have the ones that were in the colleges and very well educated. And that's how they kept them hooked, intellectually intrigued, was this go-nowhere mysticism. Well, that's how they do it. Want to talk to God? It's pretty simple. Yes. And on a side note here, Marshall, I I know you're very much into space, obviously. What would you say is your favorite constellation, if if you do have one? My favorite constellation? Star cluster or anything? I've never thought of that. You know, I'm Really? I don't, they're just, it, they're out there. I'd say if I had a favorite, it would be Ophiuchus. Mm. The 13th constellation of the Zodiac. Right. Cause that's the one where Nostradamus says it's, uh, Planet X is going to come out of. So I guess if I got a favorite, I'll go with Nasty. Ophiuchus. I love it all. I'll be honest with you. Space, space is one of those things. Every time I know I'm going to do a show and, and briefly talk about space, I, it gives me such a weird feeling inside. It makes me feel so, so small. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it's just, it, it, it always does that to me. No matter how many times I talk about space, that feeling always overwhelms me. I feel so in, insignificant. Michael, in, in in the quiet of the night, do you ever think about in your next life you reincarnate in Star Trek? You know, I do, actually. I think about that every now <laughs> yeah. and then, yes. That's, well, that's what's really at stake. If there's one thing the other races have been telling us very clear is we're at a fork in the road. Same thing with the Hopi prophecy rock. We take the wrong turn. We keep going on this path that we're going right now. We're going to be a slave species for countless generations to come. I like supernovas, by the way, mm-hmm. which is yep. which is uh, kind of funny that we're talking about all of this. We owe our lives to these stars. We're star stuff, yeah. Yeah. Sagan was right about that. He really was. We are the stuff. We are the stuff of stars. As they say, Marshall, Earth as it is is in heaven. Dust returns to dust, and life comes from death. Mm-hmm. It's all perpetual cycle. Yeah. Really it's, is, really is. But all of this is creation is a schoolyard to me. This is where we come to learn how to ascend. 
to come closer to creator, to become more than we are, and on many different planes of existence. By the way, Marshall, that leads me to ask you this. Do you think that's why so many people out there want to get off this island Earth and they want to go to the moon, they want to go to Mars, they want to inhabit this, they want to inhabit that? Do the ultra-rich know something that we don't? Is that why they want to get off this planet so badly, Marshall? It's just our nature. We're clo- you know, think about the Clovis Point people, all right? Coming across the land bridge from Russia to Alaska and populating their community, their, they, so many descendants have come down from them. We walk the earth. We're nomadic. We are a manufactured species. We're part human. Hominid, part Anunnaki. Part alien, yes. Yes, we are. I, I truly believe so. Yeah. So it is, it's just in our nature to get out there and see what's out there. It's just our nature. We can't help ourselves. That's very true. You know, the only thing I, I worry about, well, it's not the only thing I worry about, but being out here right on the San Andreas fault line, as I always mention here on the show, I, experienced that 7.2 earthquake out here back in 2020, uh, 2010 on Easter. It was Easter Sunday and Marshall, not a day goes by where I definitely don't think when the next one is, is going to hit. The question is, is not when's the next one going to hit. When is Michael going to get out of get, there? Get the hell out of there. Get out of Dodge. Yeah, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do so it? I need to do it. ASAP, now that I'm, you know, it worries me all the time, Marshall, to be honest with you. I definitely need to get out of this place. I'm below sea level, Marshall, so this is a death trap. It's a death trap, and I have yet to find somebody that finds a death wish as a state of grace that enlightens their life. Mm, Yes. So if you are waiting for enlightenment through a death wish, what will be, will be. Yeah. Or that, yes. I, I prefer, you know, is that all there is? <laughs> I'm with you. So I just going to sit there listening to Peggy Lee singing. Is that all there is? Great song. No, right. Love it. I'm just going to be listening to old music while the apocalypse happens. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like those movie cliche scenes. They know the huge wall of water is going to come and destroy the city. And there's a guy sitting next to a public fountain reading the paper, waiting to die. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that reminds me of 2012 and how so many people thought the end was definitely near on that date. But, you know, thinking about it now, 2012 definitely was the start of a uh, of a new consciousness, a new shift in paradigm for many. And a lot Myself. of humiliation for many. That too. I will tell that you. That too, though. Now, if you go to my website and you click on signs articles, just go to the website up on the, you'll see on the lower menu bar, cut to the chase, earth events. There's one, it says the third to the left signs. It's between site tech and space. These are Articles and videos we've been writing now for quite some time. You see, I remember going back into August of 2012 and I was interviewed by National Geographic and the producer wasn't really happy with me because he goes, mm. Marshall, do you see a direct 
correlation between Planet X and 2012. And I said, I'm not seeing anything in the data that suggests anything more than coincidence, no correlation. And he wasn't happy with that. I then bet it was he like, wasn't, yes. well, what are you going to be doing on December 21, 2012? Mm, taking a nap. And, and I said, making coffee. And I take my coffee very seriously. <laughs> I do. I'm a French press guy. You know, grind my own beans. Oh, okay. Trader Joe's, organic. Yeah, you're, you're not playing around. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on oh, that too. Oh no, I, I mean it's like I love coffee. It, I am not a Mr. Coffee dude. Okay, and so I take it seriously. Well, I, that wasn't. Yeah, he was really looking for you know, some kind of just we're all gonna die. You know, kind of, I wasn't gonna do that. Well, my it was my one and only prediction for December 21, 2012, and it came to pass. I made coffee that day. I don't get credit for that. I mean, I have people who've never read my work, but say that I've made predictions that life would end on that day. They they absolutely know nothing about my work, but they're out there doing that. And usually they're the paid disinformation operatives. Wasn't there a gentleman named Harold Camping who also was trying to predict the end of the, the world? I think he had been at it for many years. Well, there's always that. I My philosophy on predictions and prophecy is, Always be mindful of it, but do not live in the expectation of it. Expectation is, see, that's what the elites are looking for. People have, when we were talking earlier, you know, the blood moon triad, people had a date expectation. And the elites understood that's nothing's going to happen. But let's drum up the fear. Get all these people, you know, we're totally convinced something's going to happen. And then nothing happens. And what happens? You exhaust their attention. They're less likely to look at anything else that would be paranormal or alternative, and they're going to wind up going, okay, let's just go back to Fox News and go to work and do our shopping. Yep. Be consumers again. So right. it's, it's a way to just, you know, run them down rabbit holes so that they lose attention, and that's going to happen. Unfortunately, that, yes. Expectations, that's the problem, but the data does not lie. And what's launched the science articles was another researcher was talking about the differences between the, our calendar, Gregorian, and uh, the lunar calendar. And lunar calendars, like uh, other faiths, use a lunar calendar. Lunar calendars, first off, they're consistent. You say a holiday is going to happen on a certain, like on a full moon, uh, that's it. It's going to happen every year just the same way. It's not like... Well, we're three days over, three days back, then we have a leap year, then we have procession, then we have this. Our calendar is a mess. And we started looking at calendar dating. And that, in the process of doing that, we started revisiting the data. And we chose two data sets. One was meteors and the other was earthquakes of all magnitudes. And on meteors, specifically, we were looking for fireballs and bowl lights. And... We started tracking the data. I mean, this is serious, hard data. Take it to the bank. And what we saw was this gradual increase coming up to December 21, 2012. And then after that, boom, skyrocketed, huge spike. And it's not stopping. It's not abating. And so what the post-December 21, 2012 empirical data shows us was that the Mayan calendar prophecy was a good prophecy. What makes a good prophecy? Good prophecy will always have a harbinger event pre preceding 
the prophesized event. And the point of the Harbinger event is that you understand you are on the timeline of this major event. It is imminent. It is going to happen within a certain number of years, less, but typically in years. What does that do? If you know what to look for in the Harbinger, you know how to prepare for the larger we event. For example, the story of Joseph in the Bible, the seven lean cows and the seven fat cows. All right. Same difference. Mm. So yes. you're looking for that harbinger event. And what the Mayans were looking for, which was consistent with a lot of ancient races, was they the, their television was the sky. And they right. had amazing viewing skies. We don't know what a really good viewing sky is now because we have so much light pollution, smog, chemtrail spraying. It's like we're looking through someone smeared Vaseline all over the atmosphere. It certainly looks like that. Yeah. And they had this absolutely stellar crystal night view. They knew the night. They knew the stars. And, for example, the ancient Polynesians, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have sextants or compasses. And yet they crossed vast amounts of the Pacific to populate islands all over the place. And how did they do that? They were the first ones to actually look at the movement of the stars. And star navigation. Where does the star appear on the horizon when it's rising and where does it set? And they could draw lines and they could understand where they were relative to the movement of the stars, the setting of the stars. That's how clear the skies were. So people naturally, like the Mayans, were doing the same thing. And what were they looking for? They were looking for a very specific celestial alignment that would tell them this is the harbinger of this larger event. You know, the ancients, they don't really get enough credit for their discoveries. They really don't. There's a lot of lost knowledge. And on the other hand... Well, that could be said about human origins as well. That could be. And also, it's our own bias. People tend to believe that history began the day after they were born. Oh, Lord. Oh. <laughs> That's oh, true. No. Yeah. Sadly it is though. Sadly it yeah. is. Yeah. That's how, that's how people often look at it. They're not interested in history before them unless they go to some college and spend time reading dusty books. And I find history amazing because it tells us what the future. So the Mayans mm -hmm. predicted a harbinger event for December 21, 2012, not the event itself. And the harbinger came to pass exactly as predicted. What we were sold by all the cable TV companies was a bunch of fear-based expectation stampede pap. And so what do you have? You often hear, oh, yeah, it's like the mind calendar thing, blah, 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 blah. All this sour grapes. Yes. You get, get that thrown in your face all the time. But what it was really was an expectation stampede that was very well orchestrated very tightly organized by people who had reasons that served their own agendas. Unfortunately, that, yeah, unfortunately, that's what we see nowadays. Well, we see it all the time. Y2K, people go, oh, Y2K, oh, boy, baby, and they go, I worked in Y2K. I was in the computer industry, and I did a lot of work on Y2K technology with Hewlett-Packard. I understood the Achilles heel of the Internet. I understood mm. why that these companies were spending vast sums of money 
They knew what the real risk was. What everybody was being told is airplanes flying out of the sky, nuclear reactors exploding and all this. Where did all this fear-based, well, fear porn, where did all that millennium fear bug porn come from? Gold and silver brokers. Because people would hear all these disaster scenarios and they would believe Ah, that computers, which they didn't understand all that well, were all going to belly up and the economy would collapse. And if they had gold and silver coins. 1999 was fun, right? Huh? I said 1999 sure was fun. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And so the whole thing was drummed up. By gold and silver brokers, precious metal brokers. That's oh, yes. it. Invest in gold. Invest in gold. Invest Iron- in gold. Ironically, See, we still have that today. We still have it today, and they're still telling us the same thing. My philosophy is invest in shotgun shells, canned <laughs> peaches, and toilet paper. Right. Lots of toilet paper. Those kind of things. I mean, once we no longer have a financial economy, once we're in a survival economy, who can eat gold? Who can eat silver? Right. It'll be useless. That's right. But a can of peaches, baby, we're talking about. <laughs> that's the Kruger round of the tribulation. And baby wipes, too. Yeah. That's essential. Oh, yeah. You got to have that. Salt is going to be huge. People don't really. Seeds. That's one of the things I find that's interesting. People don't understand the incredible value of salt because now we get it so easily from these vast Mines that are based in salt domes and, you know, we buy, buy 50 pound sack for bupkis. Well, once that all shuts down, we go back to obtaining salt as humanity used to before all the mining technology. And salt was incredibly, incredibly difficult to obtain. As a matter of fact, the word salary comes from the Roman sal, salt, because salt was used to pay the troops, the legionnaires. Ah, yes. Also, right. also one must consider in agriculture, that's going to be very important, seeds and learning how to grow your own. That's right. So there's a lot of things that people can do and they can start preparing and thinking the right way. Uh, one of the things I do is uh, in twosonsinthesky.com, when you watch the video, I talk about the fallacy of the consumer approach to surviving the tribulation that I see. And I make people walk through it and think through it because consumers are looking for bang for the buck. It's not a value proposition in terms of what does it do for you. Look at our country. Our health has never been worse. People, obesity is rampant, uh, autism, mental health issues. We're a very unhealthy culture. Go into our store and what do you see? If you're looking for something that does not contain monocrop GMO and sugar. And sugar, yes. Guess what? Your choices at a modern grocery store are pretty darn limited, aren't they? They really are. Very limited indeed. That's right. And yet this is the stuff that's causing diabetes. Cancer. All kinds of cancers, all kinds of health issues. So... We are eating ourselves into into the grave for health, yeah. into the grave. I firmly believe a lot of this is orchestrated by the elites. No doubt. Because it is going to make folks who survived the initial events imminently more susceptible 
to disease and other issues afterward. Mental depression and disease, physical, our immune systems are destroyed. We have so many antibiotics in our food chain. Doctors over prescribe us with antibiotics. People go are going to go into the tribulation and the fl- bacterial flora in their gut is going to be all wrong. Yeah. People are going to be overdosing oh, and dying stuff. of sickness indeed. Yeah. People are overdosing so, now, by the way. Yeah. Thanks to doctors, yeah. they're, they're over, over, they're being over medicated and they're mixing all sorts of different pharmaceuticals and that's leading to a, a, a dangerous cocktail to dangerous conclusions for them. Yes. Yes. And I look at how is that going to impact the people who are going to survive the initial events. I see these photographs and videos of people who are showing their stockpiles, preppers. Yeah, preppers. Their stockpiles, I mean, they just have stacks and stacks of pancake mix, cheese whiz, you know, Kraft mac mac and cheese. Pastas, spaghetti, you look at all of this stuff, the brands that they're doing are all GMO wheat, which is alien. The wheat that our bodies can process, the wheat that I grew up on when I was a child, we didn't have all these intolerant, you know, gluten intolerance issues that we have today because the wheat that we grew in the United States was pretty much what the Romans were doing, which had, as I recall, 17 chromosome pairs. You know, it's funny that you said that because my dad mentioned something to that effect uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, about about what you're just saying now. That's kind of weird. Yes, and the wheat we have now is, I believe, uh, what Monsanto was selling. My dad was a That's, farmer, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Monsanto wheat is 43 chromosomes. It's a combination of plant and animal. And so... The reason why we have leaky gut syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, all these celiac disease, all these problems is we're eating food that our body's going, where the hell did this come from? Yeah. And these are all relative new, new issues, relatively new issues for us. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we have our government telling us, oh, this is perfectly healthy food. Just keep eating it. Yeah. It's quite a shame. It, it, it always makes me beg the question, who can we really trust? You trust yourself. That I mean, that's the only person you can. And the, the only truth you believe in is the truth that resonates within you because you and you alone put it there. That's the only truth that matters, whatever resonates within you because you did your homework. And you know that truth resonates within you, which means oftentimes you're going to run afoul of conventional wisdom. There's nothing conventional about conventional wisdom, but people do that. The old, well, everybody else is doing it. It's got to be right. (laughs) That's what people do. Yes. Unfortunately, that is very true. Yeah. If we're going to survive the tribulation, you're going to have to think for yourself. People will do that. There are going to be people that are going to adapt to what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to have a period of, uh, Mad Max world issues. There's always those that go to the dark side, but then you're going to have good people coming together, helping each other, and they're going to deal with these nasties and they're not going to deal with it in a very polite way. And it's going to be like in the old West with horse thieves, 
catch a horse thief, that mm-hmm. was it. You just threw a rope over a tree and got rid of them. And you just, when you come across these people that have no regard for others, this is what you do. Yeah, that's, and that what worries me the most. It doesn't worry me. It's, it's logical. You're going to have times, yeah, bad things happen to innocent people, but that already happens in our present system. Mm-hmm. That happened today. Yeah. Happened a few hours ago, rather. What was that? Oh, well, there's always, there's always something bad going on in the world, Marshall. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And follow that old song, keep your beady eyes on the road ahead. <laughs> you know that these things are going to happen. They're imminent, and yes. Yes. You don't trivialize them, but on the other hand, you have to stay focused on what matters. And if you get distracted by things that are, it, that's entertainment. That's entertainment. You need to always be thinking about what am I doing? Where am I at? Where am I going? Wake up in the morning. Think about your life. Think about things that you want to achieve that day. Be goal driven. And it works. It works. You always have a long term plan, but every day you, you wake up and it's like, okay, what are we doing today? It sure seems like that. That's. What it works for me. I just go day to day. <laughs> Marshall, I do want to thank you for being on the program here tonight. It's always fun and exciting and interesting and so many other things to describe uh, every time I, I get a chance to sit down and talk to you. Well, I enjoy it. It's I feel more like you and I are just sitting over a pitcher of beer. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. That'd be cool, too. <laughs> yeah. So I enjoy it. Yes, the, the night is gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Oh, I like that. That's I nice. love that, yes. It's one of my favorite ones. All right. Yeah, so Marshall, go ahead and plug your website and any upcoming seminar or event or anything of that matter that is on the horizon. The floor is yours. Well, thank you. And all you need to do, folks, is go to marshallmasters.com, that's with two L's, and that will take you to my main science site. That links you to everything else that I'm doing. My newest series that I've just rolled out is Two Suns in the Sky, Who Lives, Who Dies, and you can learn more about that and watch the videos for free. Go to twosunsinthesky.com. Very nice. Already. Yes. I, I once again thank you, Marshall, very much for being here, and I definitely will touch base with you again in the very near future. As always, Michael. Look forward to it. All right, Marshall. See you on the flip side, and God bless. God bless. Take care. Will do. And that was my guest, Marshall Masters. Everybody, great guest, right? Did you enjoy that? I hope you did. If you are listening to this on a replay. Keep in mind, you can listen every Saturday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the TuneIn Radio app. Also, if you enjoy this program a whole lot and you want to help and keep this program expanding, go to michaeldeacon.com and donate a few dollars. I profoundly appreciate it greatly. Also, this program completely depends on its listeners. That means you sitting there. Be a friend and share the show. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. 
And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. They give my face. How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have existed before 726. I'm gonna keep it real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are, you guys are really yeah, Mr. Rusev. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It's, it's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the bartender, you say, what the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you going to be smoking time about midnight? That's what I want. Just to tell you both, the most incredibly well-rounded Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, Successful. Flawless victory.